Welcome to Leading the Next Generation with Tim Elmore. I am your co-host, Andrew McPeak, and our mission here at Growing Leaders is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life. And Tim, today we're talking about a very important subject that, frankly, probably everybody listening, this is something we know, but it's just not something that we always practice, is it? Absolutely. In fact, I think very often in life there are subjects or issues that we know we ought to be talking about and actually living out, but we relegate it to a curriculum yeah. or a 25-minute um, class period called yep. you know homeroom or advisement period or whatever. And this is all about really the, the emotional intelligence we need, the social and emotional learning that often is just a lesson plan to be checked off, and then we move on. Yep. But if we were all open and honest with ourselves and with one another, we would acknowledge that probably the greatest areas of our social and emotional development didn't happen from a curriculum. They didn't happen yeah. from a class. They actually happen in an engagement or a conversation or a relationship, ultimately, with an adult. And I know you and I have both had ex experiences with adults like that. For me, I think back to um, a guy in my life who was not my parent, not my teacher, not my coach. Uh, his name was Mr. Neal. And Mr. Neal was one of the most fantastic human beings I've ever been around in my mm. entire life. And effectively what he, what he was, probably middle school age all the way up into college uh, and beyond, was he, was he was a mentor. Before I even really knew what that word was, um, he was always speaking into me. Uh, it started, actually our relationship started because he was a Sunday school teacher for me, but it, it moved beyond that where we spent more time together. He used yeah. to give me rides places and we developed a relationship where he was pouring into me. And in fact, he is a, a professional therapist by trade. And uh, he ended up being the uh, premarital counselor for my wife and I How about when we got that? married. And it was such a cool experience to see come full circle. And I'm sure, I hope at least he would feel the same way. But when I think about the people in my life who made me better as a person, um, there were people like Mr. Neal who were beyond the sort of uh, maybe prescribed roles in my life. Not a coach, not a parent, not a yeah, teacher, yeah. just an adult who cared about me. Uh, you had some folks like that too. I did. And aren't, aren't you glad with Mr. Neal that, that your lives intersected? You look back now in your 30s and go, I'm so thankful. Yes. And, and mom and dad were great. Teachers were great. Coaches. But this person played a, a role that maybe he didn't even realize he had played. Yeah. So mine, I, I have a Mr. Neal as well. Uh, mine was Mr. Mosher. He was a high school instructor uh, that I loved so much, I retook a class, even though I made an A, because I, I just appreciated it. <laughs> you took the it. same class? Yes, that's I amazing. did. And I made an A both years, but um, which didn't always happen, but that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, you're not bragging or no, anything, no, 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 right? No. But um, Mr. Mosher was, had retired from his first career and now was teaching, just in the aftermath of his, his later years. And wisdom and uh, emotional intelligence, people skills, interpersonal skills, good listening. He just was such a model that I was drawn to, to that example mm. and, and had him two years. Now, ironically, I'm thinking of a, of, of a lady when I was younger. I met her when I was eight, Mrs. Mayo. I've yes. talked about her on the podcast. Yep. So she was my third grade teacher, excuse me, my fourth grade teacher and my fifth grade teacher Okay. because she moved up. But I ended up... And like it was Mr. all because of you, right? I, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, she said, if, if Tim's going, I'm going too. Yeah. <laughs> but the bottom line is, this was before social and emotional learning was even a thing. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it was not even a subject to, to be taught or bought uh, as a curriculum. But she would teach us to listen, 
uh, we, we were saying yes, sir, and yes, ma'am in Cincinnati, Ohio. So it wasn't the South, but she had brought that etiquette up to us. And I remember learning I need to respect other people because I wanted to please her. I mean, that was just how it was at that age. But my point is, these were individuals in my life that when I look back, even though I liked the subject they taught because they made it fun, what I really liked was the, the example they set and the life skills I learned along the way. Listeners, you might be hearing something in the background right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> Believe it or not, that is Hurricane Elsa yeah. coming through. We're in Atlanta, Georgia. We're on the outskirts of it, but we're feeling it and hearing it loudly. So yeah. please pardon us as we go through Forgive the Forgive the storm. It, That's it right. happens. <laughs> That's yeah. right. The storm in this room is not the only storm going on. That's I want right. You to yeah. Okay. Anyway, so Andrew, I want to flip-flop this today. You were inspired to write an article, uh, a blog, yeah. and um, I really want to talk about that today. So instead of you interviewing me, do, would you mind if I just toss some questions your way? I would way? consider it an honor, Tim. Well, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. So a number of months ago, um, I think this might have been pre-pandemic, you had an experience at a school where you saw the need for this subject. Would you mind just telling that story and set up our conversation today? Absolutely, yeah. It was a very, uh, it was an interesting, interesting experience. One of those where I found it funny, but maybe other people didn't realize, yeah. right? So I'm doing an event where I'm talking to uh, a, gr- a large group, a whole district of educators. Yeah. And um, after, you know, speaking on a few subjects, we have a Q&A time, right? Um, during the Q&A portion, one of the teachers asked a question that just immediately made me laugh as well as start to think about the intrigue of uh, the situation she was in. So this teacher said, uh, this was the question I got, how do we get parents to help us teach SEL when the students are at home? So SEL is social-emotional learning. Yeah. And you're laughing because? Well, to me, it's hilarious because uh, <laughs> yeah. probably every teacher listening is like, I have that problem, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the, the comedy of it is uh, it implies that SEL wouldn't happen without the parents. And yet SEL really, uh, teaching it in a classroom, is really a new concept. Yeah. Uh, you and I developed emotional intelligence but we did it without a class, right? And we did it because parents were the main yeah. vessel through which that happened. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's an indication to me, and I, I was laughing to myself that day, because if you break down the competencies of SEL, you realize that the life sk- skills that we now teach in classrooms were taught almost exclusively by parents and communities that students grew up in, not schools. Schools weren't involved really at all, except uh, maybe in a secondary sort of way. For the entirety of human history, up until we started collecting these skills together, we named them, we gave them specific names, and we started stamping the term SEL on them. In other words, these skills predate our definition of of SEL. And so it's funny to me to think about a parent who isn't teaching this when that was plan A for all those years. No doubt about it. And I actually think it was the right plan. This is just my opinion, listeners. But when I think about um, essential life skills, most of them happened through the centuries of human history, naturally through families and communities. You know, sometimes it takes a village to raise a child. But um, the moment we formalize it, then it becomes a category that we dish off. We, yeah. we delegate. Yeah. I remember reading an article recently, Andrew, that said uh, teachers were more and more reporting that parents were delegating the teaching of morals and ethics. Yes. And I'm going, what in the world? Well, parents are going, we're both busy with jobs, mom and dad, or maybe it's a single parent. I'm already busy enough. You need it. You're a professional teacher. I'm not. You know? Exactly. But I'm just thinking, wait a minute. If this is something we relegate and to, to, to the outside or delegate to someone else, doesn't it send a message to our kids? 
you know, this is some, some professional topic that I hope you get it, rather than saying, I'm going to embody this and we're going to have dinner conversations. So I have a major question I want us to talk about, but I want you to take a stab at answering it. So how did this happen? How yeah. did schools become responsible for social and emotional learning instead of moms and dads? Absolutely. And, and I think if, if you had, it's a really great question because I think if I had to summarize what happened, it wasn't that SEL got invented and teachers took charge of it. What has fundamentally changed about our society is our belief about who is responsible yes. for teaching this this stuff. And obviously the answer we're, we're giving right now is schools, right? Yeah. Uh, but I think the true answer is, um, I do think parents need to be a significant part of it. But the reality is, if SEL instruction is going to be done well, the answer has to be all of us. It has to be all of us. Yeah. Um, the yeah. parent needs to be involved. The teacher needs to be involved. Coach needs to be involved. The Mr. Neils in our life need to be involved. Um, if you go back and look at the origins of the idea of intelligence, we call it emotional intelligence now, yeah. but even predating emotional intelligence, Alfred, Alfred Binet, the creator of the first IQ test, so not yeah. EQ, but IQ, yeah. uh, said once, success in school admits of things other than intelligence. To succeed in his studies, one must have the qualities which depend on attention, will, and character. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it? The IQ man said that. Exactly. Yeah, the one who yeah. invented the yeah, IQ yeah. test said, guess what? This is not the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, and wow. so when you think about it, we knew from the beginning of this whole IQ movement, this idea of general intelligence, which is still a very real factor, but we knew from the very beginning it wasn't the whole story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and for so many, so long, parents were uh, very involved in that. I think in the minds of parents, students, and even teachers, SEL, especially in the last 10 years, has started to become what I would say put quotations around this statement, it's now an academic subject. Um, Rather than being seen as a set of life skills that all adults in a student's life must come together to help them develop, it feels like we've now transformed the development of these skills into a class, a curriculum, a syllabi, whatever that situation is. And here's the thing. We have curriculum that teaches SEL here at Growing Leaders. There's nothing wrong with that. But I think we limit what SEL is really about when we think of it as only those things. Do you know what I've seen in my career, Andrew, as, as since becoming an adult? which, by the way, was just last year. <laughs> just kidding. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. No, I've thought, watched over the last 40 years our culture becoming a culture of professionalism and delegation, meaning yeah. it used to be my dad changed the oil in the car when I was a kid. Yep. Now we pay somebody to change the oil in the yep. car. Yep. It used to be we did the laundry. Now we pay somebody. The lawn care, we pay somebody. And not everybody, yep. but we so now expect to take our cars, our lawn care, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to someone who's a professional. This must have drifted into that category. Yep. I'm just a mom. Yep. What do I know? Or I'm just a... Now, we don't literally say that, but it's scary that the most essential parts of being good at life have been delegated to some professional who's a hired hand. Yeah. I mean, and all due respect to teachers and principals and coaches, and you you know this. You go, that's not my kid. It's yeah. your kid, ma'am. Yeah. So you're trying to teach reading, writing, arithmetic educators, and now you've been thrown into morals and ethics, SEL. So this conversation, Andrew, thank you for leading us in it, is how do we make this holistic? Absolutely. How can moms, dads, teachers, principals, and coaches all jump into the conversation where there's a unified message? We're building people good at life yep. by the time you graduate. Yeah, the goal is not here. We're not 
uh, removing responsibility from teachers and yeah, putting it on right. parents. Instead, what we're saying is everyone is responsible. It's both and. Exactly. Every adult in a student's life. And you can imagine probably how uh, parents arrived at this point, yeah, right, yeah. of professionalism. I've heard you actually call them the dry cleaner parent yes, before, yeah. right? This <laughs> idea right. of I'm dropping my kids off yeah. and I'll pick them back up when they're yep. clean or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, right. But think about it. So just three things. There's probably yeah. 14 of them. But uh, number one is parents are more pressed for time today, right? We're just busier. How are they supposed to find the time to teach these all important skills? I think parents also feel like communication to their kids is hard. We we know more maybe than anybody about the generation gap and how often a parent feels like, who is this alien growing up in my house and how do I communicate with them? So they feel like they're almost outsourcing the communication to the professionals, right? Yep, yep. Oh, my te- the teacher went to school and learned how to communicate to my kid, and I'm struggling, so yeah. I'm just going to uh, yeah. outsource that. And then, of course, um, the third factor is research is showing that SEL development is linked to success in life, right? And uh, this is a newer research, and it's one of the reasons mm-hmm. SEL has become such a big deal. So the development of hard skills and soft skills are now both linked to academic achievement. So schools realize if we don't develop soft skills where they're missing, then the student's not going to achieve. They're not going to get that job they want. And then everybody's going to look back at the school and say, we did a bad job. And so I think this is the other reason that the responsibility over SEL is starting to switch to schools is because schools see it as a value. You're right. In short, SEL affects GPA. Exactly. And if it does, schools better teach it or we're not going to get the numbers we want at the end of the school year. At, uh, this totally makes sense, Andrew. And um, I'm appreciating you bringing it up because it, it doesn't excuse, but it does explain. Yes. It doesn't excuse, but it does explain why we're acting the way we're acting. But we listeners are lobbying for let's all jump in. Let's all be teachers. Yep. And, and give the teachers a break, maybe, because the message is echoed at home, on the football field, yes. in the basketball court, in the pool, by the lifeguard, you know. And boy, what could happen to a generation of kids as they become adults if every voice was unified saying, here's what you got to know. Yeah. Is what you got to do. Yeah. And this this really isn't just a hypothesis from us. There's actually a lot of research behind yes. this. And in fact, yeah. um, part of it comes from uh, a guy we got to interview, Adam Adam Sines, who uh, wrote the EQ intervention. We just got to interview him recently on the podcast. He had this segment or section of the book. It's a little long, but I want to read it because I think it's uh, really important. And what he do, does is he basically outlines why the all-adult intervention method is actually the best method. So here's what he says. He says there are three main approaches to SEL interventions. The first approach is a, is the mental health professional as the interventionist. So this mm-hmm. is the counselor or the yep. therapist. Uh, they're professionally trained. In this model, the counselor or the school psychologist enters a classroom to deliver a 15 to 20-minute SEL lesson, yep. right? And most people would say, well, that's the most professional, most trained person ready to go. Um, yep. And so that seems like the most reason, re- reasonable method. But he says that model is certainly better than no intervention, but it actually tends to lack effectiveness in the studies that they've measured. The second model is the classroom teacher as the interventionist, Mm -hmm. right? And we've got a lot of classroom teachers who are going, why in the world am I teaching responsibility and ethics and whatever else? Um, Well, what Adam found is that this model is more effective because it's scalable. Uh, So each student has the opportunity to receive a lesson on any given day from any given teacher. And I might add the other reason it's scalable is because of relationship. Or the other reason it's effective is because of relationship. The third option in studies has been found to be uh, the most effective, and that is that 
every adult yep. is the intervention. Note that the intervention in the third model is not a curriculum per se, but every adult committed to being a living example of emotional intelligence. Okay, listeners, did you catch that? Uh, what Sands is effectively saying and what Andrew is echoing is that not only should parents be involved in the development of SEL skills, all adults in a student's life should be both teaching and practicing. Do what you say. Practice what you preach. I know you've heard this before. You've probably said it before. But this is what makes it stick. Um, yeah. Absolutely. We teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. And that in itself sometimes is the problem. Yep. We're reproducing the wrong stuff. Yep. So, Andrew, could we talk? We, we have just a few more minutes, but could we talk about some ideas? Yes. I want you to give them. Yeah. Uh, how, how can parents and, and other adults outside the teacher apply SEL skills in the everyday life and in the home? Yeah, I want to make this as practical as possible. So if you look at, um, there's lots of models for SEL and how to develop yeah. it. CASEL is probably the most well-known. And they break down uh, SEL into five core competencies, self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship building or relationship skills. And then the final one is responsible decision-making. Yeah. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to give you five ideas, one for each of these on how a parent could do this inside of the home. And what I'm hoping is that if you're a teacher, this is information you could pass along to the parents of the students that you're working with. If you're a parent out there, this is something that you can begin to practice right now. Um, so uh, I want to give you just a couple of ideas. We'll walk through each one. The first one is simply self-awareness. Um, so I really love this. There's a lot of skills under self-awareness, but one of the most important, especially early in a, a young person's development, is discovering their own strengths. So I would suggest have your whole family, not just your the individual student we're talking about, but have the whole family go through an assessment like StrengthsFinder, perhaps a personality test, but StrengthsFinder is really good because it helps identify your specific skills, strengths, and things that you have to offer the world. Um, there are other things like the Big Five personality test or even certain values assessments lots of in fact all of them you can find a free version of them but after each family member goes through it they should then share their results with one another and talk about what each of you brings to the table mm -hmm. and you might even divide up some family responsibilities mm -hmm. to the people who have that strength rather than just I'm the oldest I'm the mom yeah. or the dad therefore yeah. I need to take care of this but what you're helping the student see is that they have intrinsic value uh, this is why it's self-awareness. Mm -hmm. They have intrinsic value and strengths that they can offer to the world. And that's a great way to do it at home and actually discover that at home. Andrew, I know a family whose mother just said, our teenage daughter is the most organized in our family. So she's one that organized our family. Yes. And I thought, what a great, what a great strength. That's yeah. a great discovery. That's exactly what we're talking about. Like yeah. if, if you look at the Big Five personality test, there's a category on there about openness to experience. Mm -hmm. Um Typically, people with a high openness to experience love trying new things yeah. and pushing boundaries and all that. If I had a child with a high degree of openness to experience, I would ask them, what should we do for our next family vacation? Because mm -hmm. yeah. they're going to think of an idea that maybe yeah. somebody else wouldn't. Yeah. And it's exactly that kind of mentality, I think, that we could have in the home. And that's just one idea of how to do it. Good. All right. Do the so, next one? Yeah. Number two is self-management. Uh, this one's really fun. Have the whole family think about an area of their life that's really important to them, but maybe they don't feel like they're as disciplined as they could be. 
Um, each person should describe that area and share that with the family and talk about why they don't feel they're always as disciplined as they could <laughs> be, good. okay? And it would be really funny to have this conversation with a mom and dad and a 7-year-old and a 14-year-old yeah. and all those kinds of things. But the, the thing you want to do next is every single one of you, and it's important that the whole family participate, each of you identify three things you could do daily. So these are daily activities to be more disciplined in that particular area and write those things down. And then you want to commit in front of the whole family uh, to practice those three things for one week, then have a dinner conversation a week later and process it together. Was it easy? Was it difficult? How did it feel practicing that discipline? And just do you feel overall better about uh, achieving that? So whether that's, I want to work out better, I want to eat better, I want to read more, I want to, whatever that is, when we self-identify and practice that, hold one another accountable as a family, it's a great way to build self-management. It is. When our kids were growing up, they were younger and in the house, we had weeks where we all chose it's a little bit of a reversal on the idea, uh, something we didn't like. And we said, all right, let's discipline ourselves to do sweep the garage, clean the room, take out the trash on a regular basis, and just then talk about it. I hated it. Or I think I can do this now yeah. every day, you know, but yeah. it was good. It was a great thing for all of us, including mom and dad, to be held accountable to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, it takes more than a week to build a yeah. habit, yeah. but it's a great way to kind of start yourself down the right path and build some accountability. Yep. All right, number three, uh, social awareness, which is, of course, all about learning to see things from other people's perspective, seeing the world around you in a different way. And so my suggestion here is that as a family, get together and watch a documentary about a social issue, especially one that you feel like you don't know very much about. So obviously consider the age appropriateness of the conversation, but there's some amazing documentaries that probably are already on the streaming service you're subscribed to, whether that's uh, Netflix or Amazon or whatever it is. Um, But the goal here is to build empathy for the people you see on the screen and the issue or maybe the injustice that, that is the subject of the documentary. Afterward, discuss what life looks like from this other person's perspective or these people's perspective who you saw on the screen, what issues are they facing that maybe you weren't aware of before? What challenge, uh, what change will you make to your life because you have this new perspective? How is this going to change the way you see others? Have a discussion maybe around dinner or uh, go to Starbucks or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. but that kind of engagement can help you begin to start to see the world from another perspective. Yeah, it's such a maturation step. All right, number four. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Relationship building. So this was really fun, too. On a piece of paper, have each member of your family develop a list of people that are part of what we would call their emotional support network, okay? Uh, so you've got six different categories, and you want to write these six categories out with some lines underneath of them. Heroes, these are people that you look up to. Uh, role models, people who do the things that you'd like to do. Uh, mentors, these are people who coach you and support you. Inner circle, these are the people who are really close to you, like your friends. Uh, mentees, these are the people who learn from you. So not mentors, but mentees. And then finally, partners, people who you spend a lot of time with and those who hold you accountable. And what you want to do with each of these lists is see if you can fill in names one or two names for each one of those six categories. And if you can't, have a conversation about how you fill in the gaps. The reality is that each of us need people in these relationships in our life. And it's important that even a student as young as 13, 14 years old begins to start to build their emotional support network so they feel more ready to go on in life. Yeah, this is actually one of our habitudes. Yes, it is. In the very first course, emotional fuel. People are the fuel. If we're intentional about the relationships, they're the fuel that supports us. And that's 
a social emotional skill. Absolutely. All right. So the last one, number five, responsible decision making. Absolutely. Talk about that. Yeah. So responsible decision making has things underneath of it like ethical responsibility, uh, critical thinking, and problem solving. Those kinds of things. So here's what I would suggest: grab a headline from your favorite local news source. So maybe it's online, or maybe you want to print it off, or maybe it's in the newspaper. But the story should should be one that suggests a challenge that your specific community is facing, and the answer to the problem is not. Not obvious or not agreed upon. Yeah. Okay. Um, so present that to your family, read the article together, and then challenge your kids to think about how they would, what they would do to solve the problem if they were put in charge. Okay. How would they evaluate the options? How would they, who would they consult? Who would they ask for uh, wisdom or insight? How would they decide between options? And what values do they have that would drive their decision making? Um, this is a really great exercise because what it helps the students see is to think about all the factors involved, analyze the situation, and start to think about uh, the issues that are going on in the world around them as problems to be solved that they have the critical thinking ability to be able to address. Uh, we at Growing Leaders believe wholeheartedly in solving problems and serving people, and that yeah. if more of us had that perspective, uh, we could change the world. In fact, yeah. I believe these young people can change the world if they would do uh, take on these kinds of skills. So that would be the one I would suggest there. Well, these are just five simple uh, ideas. Um, uh, there's a, a lot of ways that we could wrap up, but I just want to say this, and I know you've got a, a story you want to tell us. I believe SEL has to be more than just a class. We've got to stop thinking of it as the parent's responsibility or mm -hmm. the teacher's responsibility and start thinking of it as all of our responsibility. Yeah, yeah. I believe great social and emotional skills are built when everybody takes responsibility and we take a community-wide approach. So if any of these ideas would be helpful to you, I invite you to practice them and share them with other people who you think could start to practice them. But uh, as we were talking about this podcast, you brought up a great example of what it looks like when a leader in a student's life isn't the obvious choice for building social and emotional skills, but they do it anyways. You want to talk about that? Well, yeah, it's one of the greatest movies from, gosh, it was 25 years ago I first saw it. Yeah. But it was a movie called Mr. Holland's Opus. I bet some of you listening are nodding your head going, yeah, I remember that movie. So Richard Dreyfus plays the lead role, Glenn Holland, who ends up becoming a band teacher at a high school. And it's inspired by a true story. But Mr. Holland's real big goal in life is to make enough money to get to New York and become rich and famous composing a symphony. Yep. Okay, that was his goal. Symphony. Famous, you know. So he decides to take a job in a high school just to, you know, save up enough money. Well, this three-year stint in a high school turns into 30 years. He never goes. He never leaves. He just continues to teach music and band, music and band, music and band, year after year after year after year. And, uh, of course, 30 years into his career, he's been there quite a while, uh, there's an economic downturn, and Glenn Holland, this band teacher, is called into the principal's office and the principal says, Mr. Holland, you've been such a favorite teacher around these parts for 30 years, but um, I'm so sorry. I've got to let you go. We don't have the budget for a band anymore. Well, you can tell Mr. Holland is livid with anger, mostly at what has happened to him, yeah. because he thought, I could be in New York right now, at least with some money in my pocket, but now I'm being fired, and I have nothing, you know? So he's really pensive. He's reflecting on the wasted 30 years of his life. And in one final, very lilting scene of this movie, you see Mr. Holland walking in slow motion down the hallway one last time in this school to pick up the box of 
belongings from his classroom. His wife and his son meet him in there, and they say, you ready to go? And he goes, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. As they begin to walk back down the corridor and out the big front door entrance of the school, Mr. Holland hears a noise coming from the auditorium. He says, what's that noise? And his wife and son say, I don't, I don't know. Check it out. And they know exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. He turns to open the doors to the auditorium of this school, and the auditorium is jam-packed with Mr. Holland's students, alumni, former students, class of 65, class of 72, class of 82, 85, 90. I mean, it's 30 years of students jam-packed wall-to-wall, standing room only. And they've all come back just to say thanks. Mm. Well, he's in a completely different frame of mind. He was angry just about five minutes ago. And he starts realizing, oh, my gosh, these people remembered, you know, and he didn't expect a, a send-off. And so he walks slowly to the front, hugging people, high-fiving, you know, shaking hands with a guy that's almost as old as him that was a student the first year he was teaching. And when he finally gets to the front, the governor of the state walks up to the podium. Happened to be a little red-haired girl he had mentored in, in the flute in his very first year, 1965. And she basically said this, and I'm paraphrasing, but this is what she says that makes it all worthwhile. She says, rumor has it that Mr. Holland always wanted to get to New York and to become rich and famous, composing some symphony. But Mr. Holland never made it to New York, never got rich off of our salaries, and never really got famous outside of this school. But then looking down at Mr. Holland, this woman says, but Mr. Holland, if you think you're a failure, that would be where you're wrong. Look around you. We're your symphony. We're your symphony. And he suddenly realized it was staying and investing in students and teaching life, not just notes on a sheet. That was what made all the difference in the world. Maybe he would have had more money. Likely he would have had more money had he made the other choice, but um, he had made a good choice. And uh, listeners, I guess we close out just by saying to you, uh, make sure you got the right report card on your own leadership as a mom, as a teacher, as a principal, as a coach, as an employer. We're investing in this next generation. And if we think we're a failure by making that choice, that would be where we're wrong. Yeah. So. Thanks, Tim. Well, I couldn't more wholeheartedly double-click on what you have to say. We've got to take this seriously. Thank you so much for that. Um, You know, we talked about the importance of uh, building SEL in our everyday interactions and conversations. It is important, though, that schools take this seriously and make it a part of what they're doing, which is one of the reasons we provide an SEL curriculum. If you are looking for something to supplement the everyday interactions that you're doing and you want to also have some sort of SEL curriculum, whether it's an advisement period or homeroom or whatever the context, maybe it's Habit Tuesdays, as many schools are doing around the country, uh, we want to tell you about our Habitudes for Social and Emotional Learning program. If you go to growingleaders.com slash SEL, you can find out all about it. But basically, we have a middle school edition and a high school edition of our program. So if you're at a district level, you've got seven whole years of curriculum. And we use images, metaphors, yeah. and stories to teach all important life skills that we call social and emotional learning skills. 
And so if this is interesting to you, I invite you to head on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL and find maybe one of the most innovative ways of having these conversations uh, that's out there. And honestly, it would work whether you're in a classroom or whether you're a parent at home with your Mm -hmm. kids. There's all kinds of great ideas in there for you to continue to build these SEL skills at home. So head on over to growingleaders.com slash SEL and check that out. As always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, that would help get the word out about what we're doing here. We really appreciate that. Of course, you can actually just share this podcast with somebody that you think might find it useful if you want to. We invite you to do that as well. If you want to connect with us online, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. I'm still working on getting Tim on TikTok. Uh, And then finally, if you've uh, got an idea for this podcast, something you want us to talk about, a person you want us to interview, a story in the news that you think we should see, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Tim, thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom with us today. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next time.